0: You a better way, you don't have to be face in the crowd. Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Monday, June the 28th. 2021, and this is episode 2901, and it's called Answers to the Most Common Questions I Get About Anarchism. And this actually came from a fantastic interview that I listened to on uh, What Bitcoin Did, which is a great podcast by Peter McCormick. And I don't remember the gentleman's name that he had on, but I'll find the episode and put it into uh, the podcast notes for you today. Uh, but it was an anarchist that Peter had on, and Peter is basically at this one, I would call him a. a a, a strong, minarchist um, libertarian that is on that journey that many of us take in anarchism. Some of us get there, some of us don't. And I was listening to that interview today when I was taking care of my ducks. And I was like, this is a fantastic subject to a show because I thought the guest was really articulate, really a great critical thinker and really smart, but I was like, man, I, I wish he was asking me these questions and I was giving these answers because I have... Similar takes, different takes, the same take with additional information, uh, all along the, the the that kind of vein. And on top of it, I was thinking, man, there's a bunch of other questions. And I was actually thinking, man, I'd like to get, I'd like to get Peter on uh, to get on Peter's show, and I'd like to answer these questions for him. I'd like to give him a list of questions. And I was like, stupid, you have a podcast with a whole bunch of people that listen to it. Why don't you just answer those questions yourself? So I sat down today. And I made this list of questions, and I'm going to answer them. I'm going to do something else, too. There's going to be a video version of this podcast, uh, not just audio. I'll put it on YouTube, and that'll get it on Odyssey. Uh, I don't think YouTube will take this one down, but they might. Who the hell knows? But it won't include any of the uh, the intro or outro sections. It's just going to be me answering the questions. And uh, maybe someone out there could... Uh, could do like the time stamping thing of all the questions for me so I can cut and drop it into uh, YouTube uh, and Odyssey so that people can see the question, click the thing, and go straight to the answer. I think this could be a good resource for people to use either so they can answer questions themselves or they can send people in this direction. I've, I've been doing this a long time, and what I mean is seeing the world through the anarchist lens. We often talk about, when I talk about permaculture, seeing through the permaculture lens, and I think when we make ideological switches... We change the lens in which we view the world. And I think like if you – I don't know of anybody that was born an anarchist uh, in in the sense that we use that term, right? Like most people as adults, they start off with a different ideology and then they become an anarchist. I think what that does and why maybe they have better critical thinking skills isn't just because anarchism maybe is a better way to see things, but because you've seen the world in more than one political lens, Because most people have only seen the world through one political lens. And I mean, I believe even if you were a Democrat and became a Republican, or you were a Republican and became a Democrat, you've still only seen it through one political lens. You've seen it through the lens of statism, right? And most people don't even ever get to the point of seeing it through the lens of true minarchism, let alone anarchism, where most anarchists, over time, we kind of walk this walk. We are brought into this world... We have parents, we have teachers, we have grandparents, etc. We have people around us. Everybody has the same thing. They make us freaking vote in high school for the presidential election, as stupid as that is. I remember the first time I ever voted for a president. The first time I ever voted for a president, it was Ronald Reagan. Wasn't old enough to vote. I was in second grade. And I voted for Reagan. If you would have asked me why, I would have literally said, because I think Carter is stupid. Huh. Maybe that wasn't such a bad answer after all. I actually think Carter was a wonderful human being and a terrible president. Uh, but we come up with that that mindset. And eventually somewhere along the way we discover libertarianism. As we discover libertarianism, we start to gravitate toward minarchism and anarchism. And somewhere we kind of cross into a true minarchist mindset. And then we cross into an anarchist mindset. How does that change the critical thinking? Well, I still know what the world looks like through the lens of a statist, a minarchist, which is like a statist light, and an anarchist. And that gives broader perspective. I'm not saying you can't understand seeing the world through an anarchist lens without changing to your ideology matching it. I'm just saying I think it'd be hard. So this is going to be a fun episode. I think even if you're not... An anarchist. If you don't fancy yourself an anarchist, I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, again, I've been doing this. I've been thinking this way fully, full on. Made the switch about seven years ago. And when I first did, and I kind of you you come out as an anarchist the way people used to come out about being gay, you know, like you tell everybody you're an anarchist, and they go, "Oh my God, not my son!" Like that kind of thing. And I literally had people that were so outraged by it that you'd have thought I took an orphan rolled him up in the American flag, drenched him and the flag in gasoline, threw them into a church and set it on fire and burned down a church with an orphan wrapped in a flag, the way that they acted as though I had somehow harmed them, like I abandoned them or something. Those people, you know, I I learned a long time ago, you don't worry about people like that. But a lot of people said, but how would we? How could we? Why would we? What's in it for me? Really great, honest questions, questions I had myself. And some other ones that are just kind of fun that we'll cover today. And I think, e- again, even if you are never going to be an anarchist, you just know it. Well, don't be so sure, but you just know it. I still think this will be an interesting way for you to better understand your world from your worldview. Because when we hear well articulated ideas that are counter to what we believe, that's when I think we learn the most, we're challenged the most. And even if we don't move all the way in that direction, since we have to defend our ideology and we have to defend it with you know, in a way that's real and based on reality versus preconceptions, we either become more convicted of what we believe and we know why we believe, and you know how I feel about that, or, well, the other thing is maybe we kind of move a little bit and evolve as we travel through time. With that, before we get into this topic today, let me remind you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is John Pugliano with the Wealth Studying Podcast. Just a side kind of in in the vein of what we're talking about today. I was talking to John one time when he was out here at my place, and he is a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And we were talking about certain things that they're not allowed to do and certain things that maybe the LDS Church would prefer would be actually made illegal. And he said, you know, I completely disagree. And I said, great, but why? Because that's why I think my favorite question is, but why? He said, because then you can't choose to obey them as commands from God. We don't see the same way on that uh, as far as commands from God, but I totally respect that belief system. How can you obey something that you are forced to obey versus something you choose to obey? That's interesting. That just tells the kind of mindset that you're going to be dealing with when you listen to John Pugliano. But when it comes to building wealth, that man knows what he's doing. He has an awesome podcast called The Wealth Studying Podcast. Check it out today. It is awesome. And remember, he's a member of our expert council. And you can ask him questions directly right here on TSPC. Just send me uh, an email with TSPC expert in the subject line. Tell me your question for John Pugliano and give me your financial or investing question. And he has really great answers. But definitely check out his standalone podcast. Next up, KnifeKits.com. Our world is devolving, in my opinion, to a world where people can't do jack-niddly crap. Most basic hard skills that kids were taught in, like, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade when I was in school, like woodshot class, right? Like, you know, if I went out and got a, a knife from knife am I to have to learn a few things, but when it comes to like, well, you know, cutting this piece of wood or something, I don't, I don't have to learn that because I learned it in school, like in school, they let me use things like bandsaws and jigsaws and planers and routers. Oh my. But our children have had that taken from them. And I think one of the most valuable things you can teach your kids is hard skills. And if you teach your child a hard skill and at the same time create a family heirloom, how badass is that? That's one way to look at what Knife Kits can do for you. Check them out today at KnifeKits.com. And remember, they do a discount for members of the MSB. With that, let's go ahead and dig on into today's topic. So you guys will be able to uh, share the uh, video portion of this if you want to uh, with others. Or again, use the individual answers to questions. But... Here's what I wanted to do today. I wanted to kind of go through all of the questions and objections that I started getting when I came out as an anarchist about seven years ago. And I want to lead off with one that I'm actually going to end up answering multiple times as individual specific things, but I want to kind of set the tone for it. So the the biggest question that I always get about anarchism can basically generically be summed up as, but if we use anarchism, how could we ever solve problem fill-in-the-blank? And what I would just like you to think about when you ask me that question is the fact that you're asking me that question tells me that we have that problem now. That, that's just all I want you to do coming into this from the beginning is just think about that. If you're like, "But, well, how would we fix the fact that some children don't get a great education? So you're telling me some children don't get a good education now. But how would we fix the problem that people are poor and homeless? Do we have poor and homeless people now? So if you're asking me how anarchism is going to fix a problem that thousands of years of statism has yet to fix as an objection to anarchism, then it's not a very effective objection, in my opinion. Now, I think it's a completely valid thing to go, okay, we've not yet solved this problem. We all agree this is a problem. The state does some things for this problem, what solutions might anarchism offer that could better solve this problem for us right now? And a lot of times you'll find that the best work currently being done right now to solve that problem don't actually require the state. A lot of times, like feeding homeless people, there's people that go out and feed homeless people that are not paid by the state to do it. In fact, there's people that have been put in jail for feeding homeless people. That's not exactly solving the problem. There's people that have tried to set up Communities for homeless people is transitional communities using tiny houses and what have you. And some have been successful, but their largest impediment to ending up where you need them to be is what? It's the state. So to want to, to know what solutions an anarchy might offer to an individual problem is a totally valid question. And I would just say that it's, it's generally a good idea if you have a problem to have more than one solution to it, because then we can figure out what works best. With government, we have one solution. The government will do it, and the government will control who else can do it and how they can do it and whether they can do it or not. That seems to me to be very limited. It would be like saying there's only one way uh, to make a basketball, and only one company should make a basketball. So if you want a basketball, you're going to have to buy it from Wilson Basketballs, and we're going to preset the price. We don't do anything else in society. Well, we don't do most other things in society that way. The next one is, but in an, armed, an anarchy, wouldn't armed thugs take over society? Really? Wouldn't armed thugs take over society in anarchy? Um, I want to be very clear before I start answering this. There's a lot of people in the world of anarchism that are big cop bashers every cop is a bastard or whatever every cop is evil there's no good cops whatever that's not me i look at it this way we are all human beings walking a path and a lot of the path we walk is based on the hand we have been dealt up to this point by life and there are a lot of guys out there they're good men good women they're doing the best they can they've chosen law enforcement. You probably weren't born an anarchist. I wasn't born an anarchist. The fact that I became an anarchist about seven years ago means that I lived most of my life as a statist. right? And so we all are making the best decisions we can with where we're at. However, I will tell you that a cop is a gun in that it can be used to exert force. And I would tell you that our society is already uh, run by armed thugs. And things like cops, other forms of law enforcement... Uh, military, etc., all around the world are used to control society right now. The state in itself is force, so I would just simply ask you, do you think since force is a reality in our world that it 's good that force has a monopoly? Should force and violence have monopolies in society and, and i don 't believe that they should I, and i I think that it 's completely reasonable that I should be able to use force to defend my property. I don't think that's it's reasonable that I should be able to use force to take your property away from you. So I would say that if anything, uh, in, in a well-run anarchy, you would have a situation where there's less thugs in control than there are now. Because right now, every single person that owns a piece of real property in the United States, for instance, is extorted out of something called property tax. And how do you enforce property tax? How do you enforce property tax? With people with guns. And the person that's making the judgment call is the armed thug, even if they're not the one that comes to your house and does it. They're pointing the apparatus of the state at you the same way I might point a gun at you and demand your money. And if I do that, at least you can, you can resist me. And you have a reasonable chance of successfully resisting me if I'm trying to mug you. Also, if I mug you, I take your money, and what do I do? I go away. Not the state. The state wants their money every month, every quarter, every week, every year, depending on what kind of tax we're talking about. So you already have an armed thug society controlling everybody and everything. Every form of commerce is regulated, tightly controlled, and taxed. So we already have armed thugs running society. We have entire sovereign nations that never fired a shot at anybody never did anything to any other nation, but they're acting in a way that one nation decides is not acceptable. We just don't like the way you're doing that. So they are then bombed with smart bombs. We drop bombs on them. We use cruise missiles on them. We send in the military. And you're going to tell me armed thugs would run society in anarchy? Okay. I I fail to see how different that is. Next up, how would... No. No. Well, isn't anarchism just a childish belief in utopia, or isn't it really selfish thinking? These two kind of go together, they're coming from the same place. So there's this belief, and I don't know where it comes from, but there's this belief that anarchists believe, if we just had our way, if we just had a society with the absence of a state, that everything would be utopic. Everything would be solved, every problem would be solved. Now, we don't believe that. And we're not promising that. I am not promising you that if we have anarchy and, and the real meaning of the word rules but no rulers, right, that we will have a utopia, that will solve every problem. That's not my problem, or that's not my promise. That is the promise of the state. That if we just keep working at it long enough, we can solve every problem. Everybody can go to school all the way up to like three doctorates for free. Everybody can have a guaranteed income. Everybody can have great health care. Everybody can have everything equal. And not only equal, that everything can be equitable. It's the state that promises equity. And they're making a real push for equity now. Meaning that we're all guaranteed the same results. The same uh, eventuality. That we'll all have an equal level of success. That's utopian, and it's nonsense. You're right, it is nonsense. As far as selfish, it's also selfish. It is selfish to believe that a person who doesn't work as hard, who isn't as talented, who doesn't try as hard, should get as much as someone who is talented and works really hard and and takes risks and gambles. There's a great line in the movie Harrison Bergeron. You should really check it out. It was put out by Showtime. I think you can find the full version on YouTube, by the way, still unless they took it down. But the, and the concept is it's in the future and there's been a second American Revolution. And everybody's controlled. We have these bands around our heads and if you're too smart, they, they, you know, send like radio waves in your brain to dumb you down. Hmm, what does that? What kind of radio waves and, you know, dumb you down today, right? TV programming. That's what it's an analogy for. And so the kids are in school and Harrison's kind of a little bit too smart, so they keep upping his band. But the teacher wants to know at some point a certain clause in the new Constitution. And the answer is that while not all men were created equal, it is the responsibility of government to render them so. It's based on a novel from Kurt Varnegut written in the 60s, by the way. Right? I think it's selfish to think that way. That everybody should get the same thing even though everybody doesn't do the same thing. So... To me, anarchism is about letting people discover their gifts and then go out and use them in an unencumbered way because we're all great at something. Instead of being structured and told how we must use our gifts and being told who we must purchase from, how we must purchase from them, etc. To leave those relationships open. It won't give you utopia, but it what gives you is more options. And I believe in the marketplace of ideas, the better ideas over time tend to win. That's why the United States, in spite of many of our failings, because we've had more freedom than most of the rest of the world, is the most successful place that's ever existed on the planet. Because at least there are certain elements of meritocracy here. And when you start telling me about the unfair nature of it, how the game's rigged or whatever, who who rigs the game? Government. The state is who rigs the game. There's never been a monopoly in history that wasn't enabled by the state. People talk about the power that Facebook has today. Maybe if they didn't get 750 million plus tax dollars, they wouldn't have quite so much power. I'm just saying. Think about it before you know you, you make your decision. Then this is one I had never really heard before, but I guess I've heard versions of it. I heard this on uh, Peter McCormick's podcast that I was listening to today about anarchism. Uh, he was asking his guest, "How would we organize 330 million people, like in the population of the United States? I guess is what he was getting at. We don't need to." We don't need to organize 330 million people. We don't have 330 million organized people right now. We don't all do business with each other. We don't all associate with each other. We don't all do things the same way, nor should we. How can you have a situation where people are able to do business with each other with no interference from the government? eBay. Think of how eBay works. You go on eBay, you pick an item, you buy it, the guy sends it to you, you pay him, everything goes down, it's recorded as a transaction, it's done. It's done. Or you don't pay him, or he gets paid in some erroneous way, but he's already shipped the item. There's a resolution system in eBay. If I get the item you sent me and it doesn't appear to match what you said it was, I have an arbitration and it's settled in a day. We might not both be happy, or one of us might be happy, or the other may not be happy with the way that it works out, the way the decision comes down, and the decision is final. But there's no, that's no different than a court system, except that it doesn't cost me anything. You send me an item for $250, and I got ripped off, and I'm going to sue you in court over $250. I can't afford to do it. I can't take the time. Not to hell with what the court fees are. I can't take my time out of my day over $250, especially with a guy that's in California and I'm in Texas. Would EBA have an immediate way to arbitrate and end that situation? That's just one technology. We don't need to organize 330 million people. We just need to enable people who want to work with each other to do so as they choose and not to do so when they choose not to. No problem with that. Um, next, how would we punish criminals, those who steal, harm, rob, in an anarchy? Well, there's no law, so you can just go out and kill anybody you want, steal anything. No, no. Fundamental to the anarchist belief is that people have a right to life and property. So you don't get to steal stuff, and you don't get to kill people. And I know what you're thinking. Well, and it, some people are thinking, well, in anarchy, you, if somebody tries to kill somebody, then somebody else just kills them. And kind of everybody looks at it and goes, well, since he's the aggressor and he's dead, kick some dirt on him and get rid of him. Well, maybe, but not likely. I can't get into it in an, like, this would be an entire episode in of itself. And I, really, this might be somewhere where I should get it, a, a subject matter expert on conflict resolution in an anarchy with things like this, because this has been well thought out it's very possible that we could get different security companies available to help protect ourselves and our property. Kind of like we have now, except they'd actually do their jobs. right? You know that couple in Missouri that pointed guns at the mob that was going to destroy their house, and then they got arrested for it? They didn't want to do that. They called every private security company in the state of Missouri, and they don't not have money. These are wealthy people, and no one would actually show up and provide security. right? If you actually had a system like this where that type of private security was enabled at different levels and prices and what do you need and what do you not need, how much security do you want, you would have the ability of these organizations to negotiate with each other and determine resolution through arbitration. It can be very organized. It's just I get to choose who protects my home and who doesn't. And and I get to fulfill what role I can for myself and buy what I can. You know, like a free market? And there's a lot of other ways to do that. But we can definitely... like. I think you need to take into the context that humanity has existed longer in an anarchy than in a state-based society. Civilization is somewhere between, best guesses are, like 5,000 and 12,000 years old. Best we can tell right now, human beings have walked around as human beings with the mental faculties that we have today. We didn't have all the knowledge, but we had all the mental abilities that we had today for at least 300,000 years. It is a very small period of time where there's been anything approaching a state, and it's been a much even smaller time period where the majority of the world lived underneath the rule of the state. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, next one would be, um, well, how would we educate children in an anarchy? I'm sorry, actually, how would we resolve conflicts and disagreements where it's not a criminal-based thing? Let's say that we have a contract with each other and I'm supposed to, to do something and you pay me half the money up front and you're supposed to pay me the other half and I'm done. Very common way that contractors work. Well, what happens today? We go to arbitration, but we go to arbitration under the state. Why can't you and I choose how we will arbitrate a disagreement when we enter the contract in the beginning? And with smart contracts today... With cryptocurrency, we could even write a smart contract that if you don't pay me, I get my money back, my deposit back. There's nothing you could do about it unless you want to go to arbitration, and then we have a way to do that. It's, It's not like any of this is hard. Plenty of people do this now. When I write a business contract with somebody, I put three levels of arbitration in it that are required. And when you sign that contract, we both agree, and this is enforceable by being the fact that law won't enforce it until the end. The state won't enforce it until the end. Here's what I mean by that. The first level of arbitration in my business contracts is that we will seek non-binding arbitration. We will go to a third party that we agree upon that's a non-binding arbitrator. That means the arbitrator is going to say, based on everything I've been told, this is what I think you guys should do. And then we will either agree to that or we will go to binding arbitration, which is also private. This is right now. And this is the best way to do business right now. This saves both sides a fortune in a disagreement, by the way. So we go to binding arbitration. That means that arbitrator is going to come down and say, this is the way it will be and will issue an order that is enforceable by the state. You only use the state to enforce that arbitration in the event that the the one party won't abide by it. You know what? It's never gone that far. It's never happened. Been in business most of my life, it's never happened. And I talk to people who do the same thing, and it's, I've never heard of it happening. Because when you go to non-binding arbitration, both sides tend to like get their shit together and work on a solution, because conflict is expensive. Conflict is expensive. And sometimes it just takes pulling out and having a little bit of perspective. So that would be one way. There's many ways to resolve those types of conflicts. We don't need the state to do it. And I'm just going to go back to, do you think it's better that we have one option or multiple options? Shouldn't we as adults entering into contract and agreement with each other, be able to determine our system of resolution of conflict should it arise without somebody else interfering with it? That's just my thoughts. I mean, I don't know. How would we educate children in anarchy? Again, this presupposes where I started. Will all children get a great education today, right? Well, we'll no, but at least they get something. Well, do they? Do we have no children who end up being like 15 and illiterate? None? Oh, we do have so So see... Again, you, what you're doing is you're throwing up this insurmountable problem, a problem that society's been working on for thousands of years and had yet to solve, and you have a single solution for it. We steal money from people in the form of property tax, which is a tax on productivity, and completely unethical. To, to look at somebody pays for their house 20 years ago, and you're still stealing their money under the guise of, well, we have to have schools. And that is the only way that we can educate children. And you'd say, but Jack, you, you're a homeschooler. You choose to operate outside that system. Yes, that's one of the things I do as an anarchist. Don't, don't think it's not harder for me to do. You know, The state socks me for about five grand in taxes on property every year. Don't you think I could provide an even better education for my grandchildren or maybe even have more time to help educate other people's children as a speaker or doing demos on my farm or things like that if I had that $5,000 back? right? So, If we didn't have to spend this massive amount of money that goes into this massive bureaucracy we call an education system, we would have hundreds of other options, very low-cost options. Again, this is not... 1800 it's 2021 there's plenty we could be doing right now to educate children for almost no money at all and you keep hearing the talking heads on your TV tell you what well we've just learned that, that, that online education doesn't work distance learning doesn't work Harvard has and I don't, I don't mean the college there is a Harvard high school that's $40,000 a year Stanford has one too The richest people in the world pay for their children to receive that education. So don't tell me it doesn't work. You know, what doesn't work is a system that's based on equity versus equality, which is our our, our education system. You get this much as a teacher. After this many years, you get a raise. You get guarantees, etc. Everybody gets the same based on how long they've been there. And you take those people with no competition... Teachers are not in competition with everybody shares, everybody makes nice. No one really gets incentivized to do better. Great teachers exist. Again, I don't bash a class of people. Great teachers exist. And when they do great, they get paid as, as well as the person next door who basically holds the desk down and yells at the kids when they do stuff they're not supposed to and lets a TV screen teach them. They get paid the same. So when you then let parents see that in Zoom meetings... Across millions and millions of kids, it looks really bad. That's just how bad it always was. But what if you could go, I don't like this teacher. This teacher's not engaging with my child. I'll pick my own teacher. You know, we're doing with my granddaughter right now. She's four. She's not even in, you know, official school yet, but she's learning. We do out-school classes with her. And you should see her. The lady comes on and she's like, yay, yeah, she's ex- I mean, one day I need to video her just to show you how excited she is to learn about a new country or learn about a new animal. That's education. That's what learning should look like. I don't want to take away education from children. I want to give as many people, as many children, as many families, the opportunity for that kind of education as possible. That's why I want to free us from the shackles of the state applying an education versus us seeking out the education we want. The one day I walked out, after we just started doing this, with using Excellus Academy, which is the organization we use to provide the homeschool curriculum for my grandson, and he was working on his stuff, and then he was on the couch, and he had the dog up there with him. I came back out about 20 minutes later. He had a mat played out on the floor. He was taking a nap with the dog, and I'm like, As long as he gets grades, I don't care. And I came back out about a half hour later. He was back on the couch, the dog's outside, he put the dog out, and he's finishing up his work. Why can't education look like that? It can. It will never look like that for the most people in a state-dominated society. So I would say that we would have better, more flexible education for more children if we stopped robbing people to put people into what is really an indoctrination today. Do you want your children taught critical race theory? And even if you do, I bet you're, be, I bet you being taught something you don't want taught. No matter what you, what your political stripes are, I guarantee you government does something with your money that you consider reprehensible. So one thing we all have in common. There's no place it's more true than the education system. I'm asking you, how great is our education system really in the current system? I don't think it's very good. Next, um, how would we defend ourselves at what we think of as a national level? National defense. Now, surely in an anarchy, we wouldn't have, you know, an American federal government, imaginary lines on a map and all that, right? But we would still, like, you know, there are 330-odd million people that live here. There are other countries. Maybe the United States becomes an anarchy before China does, and China's like, well, look at that. We'll just go over there and take over. You know, again, I think what you're, you're equating is, Defense equals state, right? How many people right now have no choice but to defend themselves because no one from the state will defend them? Do you really want to invade what you would think of as a a nation-sized area made up of 300 million people who are self-sufficient and self-reliant and well-armed and well-organized? And where you don't know who's going to do what? You see the United States at this point, the most powerful military that's ever existed in the world, tucking its tail between its legs and leaving Afghanistan and Iraq? You know what? If you want to topple the Afghani government, boom. You want to topple the Iraqi government, boom. Honestly, we could probably uh, topple the, 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 the government of China relatively easily, believe it or not, despite all the fear porn on TV. But you think you're going to control China? Do you think they would all welcome you as liberators? Really? And this is the thing. We're not going to, in our lifetimes, go full anarchy anyway. This is something we do for ourselves. This is a philosophy. But I'll tell you what, the closer we get, the more powerful we become. The more resilient we become. And you can see that in that the closest thing to a nation being a minarchist, which is closer to anarchist than being a full status, that's ever existed was the United States in its early form. And there's never been a nation that's become so powerful and so well-defended. And as we've progressed f- toward more and more statism and more and more control, we've become weaker, not stronger. Do you really think our military and our defense is stronger today than it was just five years ago? If you do, I'm sorry, there's one word for what you are. It's delusional. We have... Top generals in the United States Army saying the biggest threat we have is white rage. Even if you believe that systemic racism exists, even if you are very much an activist and you believe there's a problem with racism in America, that statement on its face is a statement of complete and total lunacy. I mean, I don't care if you're out, I don't care if you're out marching in BLM parades. You should still look at that and go, "Whoa, whoa, "Whoa, wait a minute, what's wrong with this guy? He's running the damn defense of the nation." This is where this kind of thinking leads. Because when you have a state, you want every problem solved. So when a problem's not solved, you need somebody to blame. More on that to come in a little bit. Um, next one. If anarchy's so great, why hasn't it been tried? Why are there no successful examples? When you got up and got dressed today, did somebody tell you what to put on? No. You made that decision for yourself? All by yourself? Really? If you, if you bought a coffee on the way to work, did somebody tell you where to go get it? Or did you have a choice? You could either go to Starbucks or go to Joe's coffee shack or make your own coffee or not go to work because you work. Like, how do you make those decisions every day? Anarchy is all around you right now. Anarchy is simply how humans self organize without needing to use force on others to get what they want out of them. So we have anarchy all over us right now. Did somebody tell you who to marry? Did somebody make you get married or do you decide not to get married? Did somebody make you have children? Did you decide whether you're gonna have children or not for yourself? All of these things are anarchist decisions. Excuse me a minute. All of them are anarcho decisions. All of them are ways where we choose for ourselves our destination in life. The way we want to live our, our reality. Now, as far as never been tried again, like I said earlier, humanity's existed for at least three hundred thousand years by the latest science. We have had civilization for maybe 5,000 years. You know, if we if we made the whole of humanity a 24-hour day, civilization, if we think of it, is like the last 15 minutes of our existence. And then, again, we're down to like five minutes of our existence where it was dominant in the world. And you could see a lot of that and <clears throat> how it plays out, even if you look at something like the native peoples in the North and South American continents before European settlement. Um... I'm not going to romanticize that or anything like that. I'm not going to like the noble savage mythology or anything like that. But there, there is this belief that like the Native American tribal system is an example of statism, and it's not. It's a, it's a textbook example of anarchism. And then there's mythology in, inside the world of anarchy that they were all anarchists. Well, that's also not true. That's also not true. If you look at this, and, and we'll get into this in a bit, about how agriculture created statism in the first place. If you look in the northern climates of North America and the tribal systems that existed in place there, they are very much anarchist. Yeah, there was rules, but there were no rulers. Even a chief was only somebody that was kind of the wise guy that we rely on, you know? Actual wise guy, not wise guy like TV, right? Like a wise guy like a mafia or something. And that chief could be changed out, and like there was no true hierarchy. The societies were not equitable, but they were very egalitarian. As you move south, where there's more agriculture and less reliance on, like, the buffalo and the elk and the deer, you get something that starts to look a little bit more like a civilization. And if you move down into Central and South America, as you get closer to the equator, where you can do agriculture year round, but you need somebody to put a stick in the ground and turn it over, and that's not the best job to do. You know, if you look at the Aztecs and and the Incas and things like the Mayans, you have full on statism. And those societies kind of existed, you know, Raid right in with each other. So um, don't tell me it hasn't existed, and don't tell me it hasn't been tried, because we have it around us every day, and there's huge swaths of history where things were mostly anarchist. I, I would ask you right now, do you really think that the lifestyle as you would describe it best in parts of Siberia today or up on the Mongolian steppe is, is a status society or more of an anarchist society? So we have places where anarchy exists right now. By the way, for those of you who are like, move to Somalia. It's not Somalia. Somalia is not, not an anarchy. Somalia is a state, and it operates as a state. It's just a failed one. So states fail too, guys. Just saying. All right, next up. Um, would not massive... Let me make sure I don't skip any here. Okay, yes. Yes. How did people move from anarchy to statism in the first place? And doesn't that show that statism is, statism is better? If I've just told you that for most of society, um, we existed as an anarchist uh, species, and then now the whole world is dominated by statism, doesn't that mean statism won? And doesn't that mean that it's a better situation? It just means that the soci- sociopaths and psychopaths really like the idea, and they use it to control you very effectively. And it does have a lot to do with agriculture. And there are some things that break this, so don't be that guy that's like, you know, during a sci-fi convention talking about, well, in episode 37 and 51, you said this, and in episode 21, you said that, and how does that... And you're acting some actor who just doesn't even remember the script, right? Like, don't try to be that technical with this. So there are places that break this, where it's very easy to do ag in a more northern climate, or it's very difficult to do it in a more southern climate, like if it's pure desert. But in general, the closer you are to the equator, the more you can rely on plants for food. And the further you move north or south, away from the equator, the more you're going to rely on animals as a source of food. And you can argue with that all you want, and all you have to do is look at the historical record, and you will see that's the case. The further north people are, the more carnivorous their diet was, period. And if you think about a a rainforest full of figs and mangoes and stuff, it's pretty obvious why. Mangoes don't run away, and they're there. And when you're up in you know, South Dakota in the wintertime, if you don't kill something to eat it, you're going to starve. So what happened was, as they began to figure out, hey, we can actually plant things and make them grow, and as people began to build up around that and form early civilizations, for example, the Egyptian civilizations, it became apparent that, hey, we need people to do this work. And we started to create a class system because certain jobs were more or less desirable. And the more people we had, the more people could break off and do things like, Make knives or make tools or rule over others, you know? And then as that became more and more successful, we ended up with this commodity. That's why, like, all the, all the civilizations were built around storable crops like wheat and barley and legumes that could be dried, right? And so we, we built a society around this storable food. And then when it's just a little town doing it, well, that's pretty easy to deal with. But when you have thousands and thousands of people living this way and you end up with this massive storage of food that people are going to have to live on until the next harvest or maybe even during a drought for two or three, or I believe the Bible even says at one time it was seven years in, in Egypt that storages of grain needed to be used to feed people. That's pretty valuable. Those guys over there might want to come steal it from you. Well, we're going to need security now. Well, we're going to have to have like a pharaoh or a king or some guy that's in charge, but he can't do everything. He's going to need underlings, and we're going to need soldiers to guard the grain stores. And there is the story of your enslavement in a nutshell. It really is. Once we got to that point, it became that they could justify everything. If we go back to our discussion about like the Aztecs and whatever, once you have a situation where you have a hierarchy that is enforced, versus a natural occurring hierarchy. You know, if we all get together in a community and we just live with each other, we'll have different hierarchies based on who's most needed at the time. If you need somebody that's a really good storyteller, I might be very important for a time, but if we need somebody who can really work on cars, that person might become really important if we need that done. And, and so control and leadership and hierarchy will, will naturally move around is people choose different forms of leadership when they're most needed. But if we get into a place where food is grown and you are given your ration and it's used as currency and we have soldiers to defend it, we get into a position that's very, very monopolistic. And then we'll come up with a solution like, well, the crops aren't doing very well this year. The gods are angry. Let's get some people and cut their heart out and throw them down the stairs, and then the rains will come. And only two things can happen when you do that, right? Either the rains come and see it worked, right, which weather will change and the maniacal people in power are smart enough to know that, or the weather doesn't change. Well, what do we have to do now? The gods want somebody else. It ain't going to be me because I'm in charge. It ain't going to be my daughter or my son or my brother-in-law or my cousin or the guy that gives me some some gold once in a while that I give contracts to. Don't think that shit's new, right? But it's going to be you get sorry you know we all are in this together we're all in this together you know and so we need more bloodshed so let's drag Tommy up the top of the stairs have some fancy looking guy say some words over him plunge a thing into his heart rip it out throw him down the stairs wait a couple of days rains came see it worked didn't work Bill it's your turn sorry right and if you think about it today what do we do when we're having a lot of problems we blame people and we go to war somewhere it's blood sacrifices and that all comes from this centralization of our main commodities. And what they've centralized today is so much more than grain. They've centralized energy. I was going to say power, but that can be confused. They centralized energy. They centralized health care. Right? Centralized governance. They centralized education. They centralized the control of the, of the issuance of permits to build a house. They centralized everything. And whenever there's a problem, we just pick some group of people to blame and say we need to wage some kind of like a war on drugs or a war on terrorism or a war on poverty or whatever it is. And we blame some other group of people. And that all stems from that. Conversely, when you look at society even today, who lives the most anarchist life there is? And this is, this is told in, uh, i trying to think of the book now. But it's uh, seeing like a state is one of his books. It's a different one of his books. I, I can't think of the guy that wrote that right now, his name. but in one of his other books, he talks about the division between the flatland and the hill people. And if you look around the United States today and you look at people that live in rural communities up in the mountains that have a little garden at all, they pretty much live like anarchists, even if they don't think that. Even if they have statist ideology, they, their actual me, you know modus operandi of living they live like anarchists. they go fishing, they go hunting, they have a garden. There's a shortage. They don't care. They go on with their lives. And the more you move people toward the flatland and the cities, the more controlled and the more they submit themselves to the authority of government. That's that's where it all went wrong, guys. And that doesn't mean we have to turn away from technology. That means we just need to acknowledge that's where it went wrong and understand that dynamic and how we create more freedom for ourselves today. Because I have no problem with buying food somebody else grew. I do have a problem with somebody standing between you who grew the food and me who wants to buy and consume the food and telling us how we, will, how we will conduct that transaction and whether we're allowed to or not. Think about, like, we say we live in a free society. You are not even allowed to give me the milk that comes out of your cow and I pay you for it in much of this country. Don't tell me this is a free country. This is where statism always goes, regulation and control of everything. Um, next. Would not massive monopolies exist in a world without government to prevent them? Don't we have massive monopolies right now? I mean, even in the private sector, isn't Facebook a de facto monopoly? Isn't Google a de facto monopoly? That's just in tech. Aren't the banks the fact you can pick any bank you want? Yes, start a bank today. Go ahead, start a bank right now. Go get some backers, get some money, and start a bank without the banking cartel letting you in the door. Bank. Banks are a monopoly. The creation of money is a monopoly. Well, it was a monopoly until those, those dab-god anarchists came out with their cryptocurrency. But the banks are literally able to print money at will by loaning it to you for your promise to pay it back. They don't loan you money. They create money that they give you. People think that like, the way the bank works is I put $100 in the bank and since they have to have a 10% reserve, they can loan out $90. No! No, that's not how you print money. That's that's amateur hour, guys. No, if I put $100 in the bank, the bank can loan out $1000 and hold the 100 as a 10% reserve. Where do they get the where, where do they get the 1000 bucks? You, when you go and you borrow money and they write a check and give you a check for $1000, they printed it just like the Federal Reserve does, which they make up. That's a monopoly. The biggest monopoly in the world is the monopoly on violence that is the state itself. The the monopoly that exists in your neighborhood is you either have a police department or a sheriff's department. You don't get to choose. The monopoly that exists right now is if your kids are going to go to the public school system that they steal money from you to pay for, they're going to this school with this teacher. And you have no choice. I fail to see how we could be any more of a monopolistic society than we are right now. So what you're going to tell me is if we remove barriers to entry, we remove all these pointless regulations, we'll have more monopolies? I have always said, I I defy you to tell me a monopoly that's ever existed in history that didn't exist through the power of government, one way or another. In other words, we funded it. If you look at the railroad monopolies, they were funded with tax dollars. You could have never had that. And the railroad monopoly, what, fell apart as soon as the car came around. There used to be monopolies on whale oil because we were so stupid as a society we thought the way to get light in our home was to send men out in wooden ships to kill whales to melt down their blubber to burn it in our house until we figured out what kerosene was. There has never been a monopoly that hasn't been empowered by the state and could have ever existed without the state. And again, the state is the world's biggest monopoly. Um, What destroys monopolies... Is the evolution of technology coming up with new ways to do old things better, and I would just ask you, do you think you get more or less innovation when the state stands in the way of innovation right or the state picks who wins or the state chooses who to fund? No monopolies are not a problem in anarchy; they are a problem in a state of society because we have anarchy and we have monopolies all over the place in front of us right now. Um, another one I've gotten recently is, well, if we had a monopoly, how would we have handled COVID? Well, not perfectly, but I would say better. Any business that wanted to could have required you to wear a mask, and all the mask Karens could have went there. And any business that didn't want to wouldn't have had to. And all the people like me that believe that breathing free air is probably a better way to go, we could have went there. Everybody could have figured out what they wanted to do for themselves. The people that are afraid could have hid, and the people that weren't afraid could have went out and went on with life. And then we would have kept the economy running, and you guys wouldn't have been like trying to buy beans when you didn't even know how to cook them back in March last year. right? Wiping out shelves of food that you didn't even know how it worked. We would have just kept society running. The old and the vulnerable could have been protected because there wouldn't have been anybody to force nursing homes to take sick people into the nursing homes where the most vulnerable people were. Would have things gotten screwed up at all? They absolutely would have gotten screwed up. But the assertion that government didn't royally screw up almost every piece of this, we wouldn't be talking about vaccine passports. Now, if a business wanted to require a vaccination, then they could do that. And then I'm free not to do business with them. And I wouldn't be like, we wouldn't be discussing, well, should the cruise industry require vaccines or not? No. One cruise line would say, we're doing it. And the other cruise line would go, I bet there's a whole bunch of people that aren't going to go on vacation now if we do this, so they would go there. Well, what if everybody died? Well, first of all, everybody's not dying. Everybody's not dying. There's like half the people got vaccines, half didn't. But half of us that didn't, we're not dying. You're talking about a virus with a less than 1% lethality rate. It's like less than a one-tenth of a percent lethality rate for the majority of people. We know who the vulnerable are. If I'm old and I have congestive heart failure and I'm not vaccinated and I'm like, screw it, I don't care, I don't have long to live anyway, I'm going to go on a cruise and I'm going to go on a cruise where I don't need a vaccine and I die, that's my choice. That's my decision. I just read an article of a, of a moron I posted on social media today that is saying that, it's a writer for the Daily Beast, going to restaurants and seeing children indoors without masks on is terrifying. It's like a horror movie. Those people should have a place that they can go and live the way that they want to live. And the rest of us who are not clinically insane should be able to do the same thing. And over time, markets will rectify problems. That doesn't mean perfection. That does not mean utopia, as I said earlier. It does mean that we do have mechanisms for these problems to be solved. If we'd let people work on solving them. And if it turned out that we were wrong and we all started dropping over, we would change our behavior. We've never shut down society for something like this before, ever, ever. And we shouldn't have this time. And if you don't believe that at this point, I have to ask you, have you looked out your window lately? Every shortage we have, every problem we have that they say COVID caused was caused by shutting off the economy and telling people to stay home and paying them to do so. Would have never happened in an anarchy. Now, if a company said, you know what, we're not sure right now, we're going, to send, we're going to shut down all but critical operations, send everybody home. We're going to keep paying you for a couple weeks till we figure this out. That company would have figured it out and said, hey, come on back to work. Or they would have said, hey, keep working remotely. Now let me see you can do that. They would have done that on their own. I'm just saying, you know, exactly what would have happened. I don't know. It would have been nice to have an opportunity to find out. But I'm just going to say this. If the United States government wasn't stealing tax dollars and sent it to the Chinese government, at the Wuhan lab, maybe we wouldn't have the virus in the first place. Maybe we would. I don't know. But it's just kind of a possibility now, isn't it? Just interesting. Um, another question I've been asked a lot, and this comes from like a left-leaning uh, anarchist crowd. You know, they basically say you cannot have a hierarchy if you have an anarchy. You have to be complete egalitarian. See, what you're doing now is you're conflating egalitarian with equity. Egalitarian means we kind of look at everybody at a base level as having a certain amount of value and a certain amount of rights. We look at everybody as being a person and a person itself has a certain level of rights and opportunities and should be treated a certain way. And then we enter the world of reality if we don't stay with equity and we stay with egalitarian in that the guy that tries harder gets more. The guy that's a better leader should be seen as a leader in the thing that he's a good leader at. I mean, this is how humanity has always functioned. What we have with statism is the problem isn't a hierarchy, it's an artificial enforced hierarchy. Once your mayor of your city, if you live in a city proper, is elected for four years, six years, whatever your city charter says, you're stuck with them. If they issue some sort of executive order that your city's charter gave them the power to do, you're screwed. You can't change that. Oh, yeah, I know you're going to vote. Like So the, if you live in a place where you're always going to be the minority, you will always be screwed. Your choice is to leave until it happens there and then to leave again, even though you bought your property and you should be able to defend it and it's your business in that city. You have no choice. That's a fault hierarchy, the people that succeed in that hierarchy would never succeed in a meritocracy. What's that chick from uh, Chicago, Lightfoot? Do you really think that that woman would be able to succeed in any meaningful way, in any sort of hierarchy, without the artificial hierarchy of the state? How about Ocasio-Cortez or Nancy Pelosi, right, or George, George W. Bush? Are you kidding me? Do you think George W. Bush or even H.W., either one of them, could have succeeded in a hierarchy outside of the artificial confines of the state? They're all freaking morons. But they have so much power over so many people because people believe in the illusion of their power. They have no true legitimate claim to power. But yet, since you believe it, it is true. Since you choose to believe it, they have power and authority over you because you willingly submit to their power because you say it's the price we pay for a civilized society. I say we do not have a civilized society because a society that exists where one man can be grabbed by another man and everybody's okay with it because he possessed a plant and thrown into a cage is not civilized. A place where an old person paid for their home in 1965 and loses it because they cannot afford the property taxes on it is not a civilized society not figuring this out and installing an anarchy in our world today is the price we pay is is why we pay the price of not having a civilized society this is not a civilized society nothing about this is civilized taking a person who threw their heart their guts and their soul into their business for 20 years and telling them you can't operate your business because we have determined it is not an essential business is not a civilized society that's not a civil i don 't care who you are if you believe that is a civilized society you are delusional tell pe- telling people who freely choose to go to a house of worship and worship together in their way they can't do it because their community is not essential to society that is not a civilized society. And I could keep going, but I won't. No. No. Um, The next one is, how will we ever convince everyone to be an anarchist, or even most people? I don't intend to. I don't intend to. I live my life as free as possible. I did not become an anarchist because I want to change society. I became an anarchist because when I critically thought about the world as it is, about all of these injustices that I've said to you. It was the only ethical choice I had left. I'm an anarchist because I believe in my sovereign right as an individual being to live my life as I choose until such time as I commit harm to another human being or take their property. So I don't need everybody else to do it. I would like as many people to think this way as possible but I'm not waiting for anybody to start living my life this way. I will do business with whom I choose. And you know what's funny? So many people who are statists, they live a large part of their life in a very anar- anarchistic way. When I was a kid, I got my first job. I worked for a dude named Muskrat Purcell who ran a, a scrapyard. Okay? He ran a friggin' scrapyard. I pulled parts off cars and he paid me cash. All of my uncles, all of my family, they were like big time Democrat liberals. You know why my name is, my, my actual name is John. My my name that I'm called is Jack. Do you know why that is? Because they named my father John and called him Jack because my grandparents practically worshipped JFK and he was John called Jack. That's how Democrat these people were. And when I started talking to them, I said, yeah, you got a job. Yeah, you're working for a muskrat. Yeah. And I'm, they're like, well, was he paying you cash under the table? Yeah. Good boy. they slapped slap me on the back. Good boy. You keep that money. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you guys are all for taxing people. Oh, but they want to tax the other people. This this is the society we live in today. Most people already are anarchists, they just don't understand what the word means. They're already choosing which laws they obey, and which laws they disobey. If you ever sped, and you knew you were speeding, and you said, I might get a ticket, but it'll be 100 bucks. I don't care. Or, I'm not likely to get caught speeding here, so I'm going to speed. You probably do it all the time. So what good is the speeding law? You choose whether you obey everything you choose to obey or not. And some things, yes, we choose to obey because the consequences are severe. It doesn't make the law moral. It doesn't make the law moral. My father-in-law, who passed away a few years ago, he and his family smuggled Jews out of Europe during the Nazi occupation. His father ended up in a, in a freaking concentration camp and was one day from being executed before he was liberated and set free. He won the Medal of Freedom. He had it pinned on his shirt by, by General Eisenhower himself. He broke the law. Oh, by the way, he was a cop before the Nazis invaded the Netherlands. Was he immoral because he broke the law? W- were the Nazis moral because they were following the law? And don't say that it doesn't apply today because it most certainly does. Principles apply even when the situation changes. So the principle is not that every law is immoral and everybody that follows every law or enforces every law is immoral in that. It's that it being legal in of itself or not does not make a firm judgment on morality. If tomorrow they said, you know what we're not going to enforce anymore? If you rape somebody, we're not going to prosecute you. It's legal to rape people. I have no doubt there would be more rapes, unless with that there was, but if you rape somebody, anybody that wants to can shoot you, and we're not going to do anything either, then you might see less. But would you go rape somebody just because it became legal? Do the people that rape people now not do so because it's illegal? This this idea of law equaling morality is is insane. And you realize how controlled people are that they actually make that argument. Um but I don't care if everybody ever becomes an anarchist. I would just say the more of us that do, the more successful we'll be. You know, I'd be happy if give us Texas, give us, and anybody doesn't like it, leave. Just give us Texas, let us learn Texas our way, and you guys go take the rest of the country. Hell, give us freaking I don't know, give us two counties in Texas. You know, just leave us alone is what I would ask for. But I know that's not going to happen. So as an anarchist, I live my life on these principles every day. And more importantly, I evaluate the issues based on these principles. And I make my decision on these principles. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. It doesn't mean I'm directly, willfully defined in front of the state. I don't go out and paint a target on my back. Most of the time, I do follow the law. Because the laws are things like, don't steal people's shit. You know, I'm going to do that anyway. Next, So, people ask me when I explain that, what benefits are there for me becoming an anarchist? And some people may think that's like a, like a, not a reasonable question or it's somehow like an insidious question. I don't think so. I think it's very reasonable. In fact, the fact that people think this way is another reason I'm an anarchist. That I ask in this situation, what do I get? That's acting in your self interest. Humans act in their self interest all the time. We, we try to render that point uh, controlled with law and hierarchy, but it doesn't work. People still always operate within their self-interest. In fact, laws that create punishments operate under that assumption. Well, if we make a law that says not to do this, even though we shouldn't, people will mostly comply because they don't want to get arrested or fined. right? So people do um, act in their self-interest. So I'm going to do that fully, all the time, with awareness. That's a benefit enough as it is. Not being controlled. Not being controlled is the benefit you get. And I don't just mean, okay, now you're just going to disobey everything because you don't do that if you don't want to, like, go to prison or jail or club fed or what have you or lose all your assets. So we strategically obey certain things. When I say not being controlled, I mean not being controlled mentally. Our society is so... The only way you could get Hundreds of millions of people to run around with masks on with a box that says the mask doesn't do what the government said the mask does is to have mind control over people. The only way you could get people to leave their children in the school system at this point is mind control over people. With the miserable rate of success that high school, I'm sorry, that college degrees really convey to people, the only way you could still have 70% of people coming out of high school going to college in our country is mind control. Because if people did the math, they wouldn't do it. When you become an anarchist, fully and holy, it's, it's in some way, and I say holy like as in in totality, not as a religious sense, but in some ways it has, it's not a religion. And for even saying the word religion, there's certain anarchists out there that want to take my card away, my anarchist card, which doesn't exist. Um, but it is in a way sort of like a religion. It's, it's, It's a metaphor, not an exact comparison, right? And what I mean by that is it is based on ethics and it's a belief system based on ethics. We don't become anarchists to change other people's politics because that would violate anarchism. These clowns running around in black hoods and stuff like that, they're not just not anarchists because of the way they're behaving, they're not anarchists because of what they want. Wanting to control people and make everybody live your way is not anarchist. I am okay with people remaining status. I just want you to leave me alone. Like, I I would be fine with, you guys get to run your status little shithole, and we get to opt out. We get, like, the things that you have total control over, we get to pay for what we want to use, and we don't pay for what we don't use. I, 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 I would prefer we go further than that, but that'd be a great first step. Um... You, but when you make that, you, you, you realize how many opportunities there are to live that way right now. I hear from people all the time, well, I would do this, but they won't let me. Who's they? And how do you know they won't let you? And have you tried? I don't hear that from people who are, you know, dyed in the wool, true anarchists. They're like, let me tell you how I got around it. There's so many benefits. And you will then, you will add that third lens. If you're going to become an anarchist, odds are you're already in that minarcho libertarian stage. You've already made it that far. Very few people go from like small-government Republican or big-government Democrat or big-government Republican straight to anarchy. There's always this transitional stage. So now you get to see life through all three lenses. And you are going to make better, smarter decisions, because if you're, if you're smart, if you're an intelligent person, you won't forget what life looked like through those other lenses. You have greater perspective. In general, I find that people that are anarchists make more money than people who aren't. In fact, I would bet if somebody ever did a study, those who self-identify as anarchists have greater uh, income gains over the average person in society than the college degree gives the person over the average uh, age of a person in society, especially if we rectify for IQ level and intelligence, especially if we were to do that. Um, Next... um, by default, do I need to break the law once I become an anarchist? No, no. When we talk about agorism, which is a you know like a is basically the market based natural result of anarchism as being an agorist, right? People seem to think like to have an agorist business, you need to be doing business in the black market or at least the gray market. No. Again, we we decide what we're going to do based on the landscape in front of us, like. There are roads that if I wasn't worried about getting pulled over, I would drive my Challenger 155 miles an hour on them, right? And there's roads that no matter what the speed limit is, I am never, ever, ever going to drive my car more than about 25 miles an hour because I don't want to kill a kid. Because it's immoral to kill a kid with a car because you wanted to drive fast. I also don't want to, like, end up in a ditch and dead or destroy my car. So I'm not driving 25 miles an hour on that road because a sign says so. I'm driving because there's houses and there's kids and it's windy. Now, I am choosing to obey the law on that long, safe road if I think I'm going to get pulled over and lose my license. You don't need a license. Okay, you try that and see how it works. But, see, that's the thing about anarchism. We all get to decide. We all get to decide how much of their system am I willing to deal with. But at least we make this switch to, I'm not dealing with it by default anymore. All right. Next up. Um if anarchists mean what they say, this is what I've had thrown at me. Even when I was just a libertarian, why do they use public resources like roads and parks, etc., like that? As I said, let me make sure this microphone comes with it. Uh, as I said earlier, I am I am fine with like if you want to talk like that, I'll I will pay my taxes for roads to use the roads. I'm okay with the roads. And when I say okay, what I mean is I'm compromising here, that it would be better, not this is what I want. But if all the roads were toll roads, or if I was an opt-or-outer, like if there was that was a thing that I could opt out, like they were all toll roads for me. Okay, fine, fine. I'd much prefer that other people are able to build roads wherever they want to and wherever they can and decide how they pay for those roads, because we would have roads in an anarchy, I, I promise you that. But the reality is we're not given a choice. And so if I need to get my car from my house to a store right now, I have one way to do that. Roads. And by the way, you stole my money to build the road in the first place. And every time I put fuel in my car, I pay a gas tax that's supposed to pay for roads. So if you are going to take my money to provide me a service against my will, and it's my only option, then it's only right that I do it. There is, there's nothing that I use that government provides that I wouldn't be willing to privatize. But just because you didn't give me the option doesn't mean now I'm obligated to not use it. It's, it's, it's one of the most ludicrous arguments that I've ever heard, so I'll be short on it with that. Um, I also have heard a lot of times it's said as a joke, the difference between a libertarian and anarchist is six months. And I've been asked if that's true. And here's my answer. As long as the libertarian doesn't talk to most anarchists, Yes. The number one thing that slows down the transition from libertarian to full-on anarchist, or from, you know, you call it big letter L, little letter L, small government, what, minarchist, anything you want to full anarchy, is other anarchists. Anarchists that are just complete purist, asshole dicks, right? Those people, they just destroy that transitional period. Instead of saying, like, hey, look, man, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? Or why do you think we need this? This need that we seem to have in this community to attack each other is the number one impediment to like a full transition over to this world. So those of you that are anarchists, you've been anarchists for a while, maybe you forgot what the world looks like through that status lens, through that transitional lens. Maybe back up and have a little bit of grace and be a little bit more decent with people that are moving into your direction, and maybe that transition would be six months. Because I'll tell you, it took a hell of a lot more six, than six months for me. And it was because when I asked these questions, instead of getting answers like I'm giving you today, I got answers like, shut up, you statist asshole. You're an idiot. You don't know anything. Okay. Or like when I asked things like, well, where has anarchy ever been tried? Instead, instead of saying, well, like, here's places that exist and here's how it exists like I did today, you get like you get somebody to say something, just because something doesn't exist doesn't mean it can't exist. It's true, but it's not an answer to the sincere question. So I think that if you want to move people from libertarian, small government-minded, as, as quickly as possible to this world that many of us that are listening to this today live in, then being decent to people is probably the number one way that you can make more of that happen. Next why do anarchists call anyone else who's not an anarchist a statist? Well, I mean, maybe sometimes we shouldn't, but if you want the real answer, because you are. Because you are. If you are the, the most small-government, minarchist, libertarian that we can come up with, that hasn't made the last shift, you're still a statist. You might be less of a statist than a big government, blue dog Democrat, right? You're still a statist, because you believe in the need for a state. And to me, statism is a religion. It's a religion. The belief that we must have a state for at least these core functions. And it amazes me, like, as people move in this spectrum toward becoming more and more anarcho in their thinking, the number one things they want to leave under state control are the most important, all-encompassing things in society. Well, we need the state to handle roads. So you want, so, and anybody that's that far along, you say like, so do you think monopolies are bad? Well, yeah. Inherently bad? Yeah. Like, do you think we'll ever get the best solution in a place where we have an enforced monopoly? No. Then why do you want to give a government a monopoly on roads? And, trans- and it's not really a monopoly on roads, is it? It's a monopoly on transportation. Government controls the rails. They control the air. Travel, they control the roads. We have no idea what technologies we would even come up with if we let loose the full innovation of society. Well, somebody could die in an explosion. That happens all the time anyway. Every advancement in society comes at a cost. Do you want to advance or not? It's amazing. The most regressive people on the planet call themselves progressives. Think about that. The people that call themselves progressives are actually the most regressive people on the planet. They're the people that most want to control society and prevent it from moving forward in its natural way. They want to control it because they don't trust people to do the right thing because they don't ex- they don't understand how expensive conflict is because most of them, I'm, I'm sorry, but they're cowards and every conflict that they engage in, somebody else fights the battle for them so they don't realize the cost of conflict. Remove that intermediary. Remove the ability of people to commit violence by proxy. When you don't like something your neighbor's doing, and it's not like something like somebody's going to die or something. It's just annoying. And instead of at least trying first to say, hey, Bill, what's going on? Like, you know, this thing, here's the problem it's causing me. Can we work together to come up with a way to rectify this? And sometimes Bill's a dick, right? And he's like, no, screw off. You know, in our society today, since we don't have like other forms of arbitration that we can use, um... To deal with it, we might have to use the state's apparatus, if, even if we don't want to. But if we don't at least do that first, if we just, like, we know that whatever Bill's doing is a violation of a code, and we call code enforcement, and that person that's a code enforcement officer comes over and immediately lays a smackdown on Bill, we've used force, but we haven't had to do anything to use force except make a phone call. We're letting somebody else fight that battle for us so that the, the cost of that conflict for us is very low, Bill's not going to punch us in the face. Bill, They won't even tell Bill who called. Maybe Bill's smart enough to figure it out, but they won't tell Bill who called. right? Bill's not going to come back at us with the problems we're causing. And I have found in most instances like this, there are assholes you can't reason with, but most instances like this, you find out the reason this is going on is something's wrong for Bill. And maybe he won't even tell you right away, but when you leave it in a very peaceful manner, he'll often come back and say, look, I'm sorry I was a dick, but here's what's really going on. Well, can I help you with that? Otherwise, it's forced by proxy. And when you're like, I want this road fixed and I think taxes need to go up for it, that's massive forced by proxy. You remove the ability to use forced by proxy and people will understand the cost of violence and the cost of conflict. It will become real to them. This is an artificial reality people live in where you can just point your finger and make phone calls. and cause all kinds of misery for people and it doesn't cost you anything. Like I said... It is a hierarchy, but it's not a natural hierarchy. People that behave that way in the real world get the shit kicked out of them, and they should. And that's why most of them don't do it. You know, when I was a kid in school, you didn't go around being a dick to other kids, right? Because no matter how big and tough you were, sooner or later, even if you were big and tough, even if you were the biggest, toughest guy in the school, like two or three other guys that were almost as tough as you would be like, we can't have this guy doing this shit anymore. And they would take you out and kick your ass, and now we have kids being bullied to the point where they literally commit suicide. Because kids get away with it. There's no cost to the conflict for them. And you wonder why it just permeates itself into the rest of society when we've fitted a school system that does this. What's the advantage of becoming an anarchist today? Understanding all the things that I'm saying intrinsically without having to have me explain them to you. That would be one of them. Um, but yes, anybody who is not an anarchist is a statist because you believe the state's necessary. It's not necessarily a slur. Like, you know when it's a slur? It's when a Republican calls a Democrat a statist. That's when it's a slur. Right? Now, I'm saying anarchists use it as a slur all the time, too. But it's always a slur when a Republican says that a Democrat's a statist. And I'm sitting here as, a, as a, uh, an anarchist going, it is so ironic to watch one statist call another statist a statist. Like, it's insane to me. It's like, you know, it's the call pot in the kettle on line one thing, right? Um... But when, it, when I'm talking to a reasonable, having a reasonable discussion with a libertarian, I might say that's statist ideology. And they'll they'll explain to me how they're not a statist. I'm like, but you want the state to do that? Well, yeah, because you think we need the state to do that. Yeah, so you believe that we need a state. Yes. Okay, so you're a statist. It, it's not hard to understand. It's just the truth. Now, you might be much less of a statist, but I, I look at it this way. If you go into a store and steal a pack of bubblegum. Are you or are you not a thief? Okay. Now, I know it's not the same thing, and I'm not equating the two. I'm just saying, this is an analogy again. Analogies are hard for people when they're emotionally invested in things. If you go to a store and go inside and steal a 75% pack of bubblegum, are you a thief? Yes. You've stolen property that's not rightfully yours without offering agreed-upon consideration for it. That is the definition of theft. If you break into somebody's house and steal $10,000 worth of their property, are you a thief? Yes. Are both of those people thieves? Yes. Is one a bigger, more reprehensible thief? Absolutely. Should one face far more repercussions? Absolutely. And if you arise to political power and you steal money from tens of thousands of people or millions of people, are you a thief? Yes, and you're an even bigger thief. I would ass- I would assert you are a bigger thief, even though you did it under the cloak of legitimacy. You are a larger thief than the guy that broke into one house and stole one set of property, because you're going to come back next year and want more, and you're going to get it, again, using force by proxy, because you could never do it yourself in a false hierarchy. Um, on this note, there's like some sort of times it comes up with, like, anarcho-purity testing, right? And so if you're involved in the political process in any way ever, are you still an anarchist? Do you, like, lose your credibility as an anarchist if you were to, I don't know, help a, a, a libertarian candidate get elected for some office or something like that? I'm going to say that I'm not going to do that, but I understand why another anarchist might. Let's say you were an anarchist and you lived in a place where and you, all you wanted to do was have some chickens in your backyard, and the only reason you didn't do it is you had a blue hair Karen on the other side of the fence that would call the authorities on you, and there was in fact a law, a code, some restriction that said you're not allowed to have chickens. Well, you have really you only have three options at this point: you could sell your house and move somewhere where you're allowed to have chickens, right? Um, you could choose not to have chickens, or you can figure out what the political process is and see if there's any way to get rid of the law that restricts your ability to have chickens. If you choose that third option, you don't lose any credibility with me as an anarchist, right? I mean, let's look at it this way. I'm walking down the road, and four dudes come out at one time, and they keep distance, and all four of them have a gun pointed at me. And they say, give me your wallet. You know what? What do you want me to do? with you want me to put it on the ground? you want me to toss it to you? What do you want me to do? I'm beat, and I know it. I have to play the hand that I'm dealt in that situation. Now, if I get an opportunity, you bet I'm going to look for retribution on this. But at that moment, I'm in that scenario, and my ideology doesn't count for anything. So all I can hope is that using appeasement, right, which is one of the six methods of dealing with aggression, appeasement is a legitimate means, that's what I must do in that situation, if I'm, if I'm Bob and I want my chickens, and the only legitimate play I have is a political play, it's wholly right that I make that play if I think I have a reasonable chance of success. Because I don't, see, and this is the thing, I'm not using the political process to take away a right. I'm using the political process to regain a right. And I think that you know the right to keep an animal is a pretty basic right. And if I'm not a dick, and the reason that Karen Bluehair next door doesn't want chickens is because she thinks they're noisy, you know, I won't have a rooster. You know, I mean, we can work things out. But I think using the political process to remove restrictions when it's the best play you have is completely consistent with being an anarchist. Using the political system to establish uh, restrictions on others because you don't think they should do a thing. I'm sorry, you are not an anarchist. In this, you're restricting the ability to interfere, right? Like, you can get a, a logic loop with this if you let yourself. I think it's pretty basic what I'm saying, and I think it makes perfect sense. Um how do how do anarchism and critical thinking go together is a question i've got like because you're a, i am really known as a systems thinker and a critical thinker among my audience if you're watching me on youtube and you've never listened to my podcast you know maybe you just think i'm some guy that comes out and rants once a day on youtube um but i take a lot of things and i break them down logically and kind of reassemble them so that they're understood and i think a lot of times people say well if you really are a critical thinker and you can't answer the question Exactly how would anarchy fix all this stuff? How are you actually a critical thinker? And I think at this point it's pretty clear that that's not what you're doing. What you're saying is with the ability to act without the permission from the state, as long as you're not stealing from somebody or hurting somebody, we will come up with more solutions and some of them will be better. And then since people like things to be fixed, they'll gravitate to those. We'll find better solutions. It doesn't mean we'll fix every problem. That's actual critical thinking. I don't think one can really be a true anarchist and not begin to think very critically. It is the anarchist that told you they're going to keep trying to mask you forever, and you said we were conspiracy theorists. It was the anarchists that told you, hey, you know, now there's the conspiracy loons that like, it's a bioweapon in China, put it in the 5G or whatever. That's nonsense. That's nonsense, okay? 5G is a technology, a coronavirus is a virus, right? But I think it was the anarchists that mostly said, it's kind of suspicious that a lab that does gain-of-function research on coronaviruses is in Wuhan down the street from the wet market that they said it came from a bat in, even though nobody was ever able to produce a bat from that wet market, let alone a bat from that wet market that was infected, right? We were the ones that said that, you know, we don't know – but if you make me guess right now, that's the way I'm going to do. Where the massive numbers of most of society immediately believed the government when they said, hey, it came from a bat or some sort of in weird animal or something. And it's because Chinese people eat, you know, bats. I-, I just don't know how you can make the argument that the mainstream of society is more of a critical thinking uh, group than the average anarchist. The type of anarchist I'm talking about today, again, a person that actually knows what the word means and can answer these questions the way that I can. Here's the thing. You might be listening to me and going, this dude's pretty switched on, and he can just roll with this stuff, and none of this is scripted, and I just threw these questions down today, and I'm just throwing answers at you. I think I might convey a little bit better on YouTube than it does in the audio-only version of this, but I think what you'd be surprised is how many other people could do the same thing. In fact, they'll give you very different answers that really lead to the same place. Because as soon as you make this leap, this is how you require yourself to think. If I want to say that I should have these rights to live a certain way, then I need to think about how to provide all the services to myself, either by buying them or providing them directly to myself. I have to become responsible. And as soon as you have to become responsible for yourself, truly responsible for yourself, because saying everybody should pay more taxes is not being responsible for yourself. Again, it's forced by proxy. As soon as you're forced to look inward and say, well, okay, then how am I going to feed my animals? How am I going to deal with my neighbors? The very fact that my ideology precludes me, unless there's a life at stake, from picking up the phone and calling the sheriff versus talking to my neighbor requires that I think. And I can't go over to my neighbor and go, you dumb jerk, if you don't do this, I'm going to do that, and expect to get a a resolution. I'm going to have to think about how do I talk to this person in a reasonable way. Is this problem big enough for me to care about? Think about how many things people call the cops were that aren't even real problems. You move to this world, you will think more critically. You'll be re- you will require it of yourself. It will become, and I think a lot of reasons that people shy away from even libertarianism, let alone anarchism, is they're afraid to take that burden on. They want somebody else to do it for them. They've been taught their whole life, it's not your fault, and somebody should fix it for you. And the further you come in this direction, the more you realize most things are your fault, and the person that can fix it for you is you. Last one I've got. Why should anarchists support or use cryptocurrencies? You know, it's a surveillance coin, and all these other arguments against it. Because the entire concept of anarchism is based on one primary thing. Decentralization. The anarchist solution to every problem. Or I should say... All the solutions that anarchists would generally propose to any problem. Because you would have one problem, 20 anarchists, and 20 potential solutions. In fact, you might have 20 anarchists and 40% potential solutions. Because each one might come up with, well, we could do this or that. Right? That's all predicated on decentralization. You can't have a central authority and be an anarchist. That's like the one thing you can't have. Cryptocurrencies are decentralized. Which one will win? Which one will be best? I don't care. It doesn't matter. An anarchist should look at everything in the world that's available to them and see it as a tool. And say, based on my goals and obligations and things that I have at this time in my life and things I want to accomplish, does this thing enable me to accomplish that or not? And I would submit to you that I am huge on cryptocurrency. You guys that watch my channel, listen to my podcast, you know that. I think cryptocurrency is, is, is the, one of the most exciting technologies ever created. But if you look at everything I just said, and your answer to, to does this technology get me closer to where I want to be, and your answer for right now is no, then you shouldn't worry about it. Did he just say that? Can you re- really be an anarchist and not be a crypto enthusiast? Absolutely. Can you be a crypto enthusiast and be an anarchist? Yes. And I think that, I, I save this one for last, because it doesn't really matter that it's cryptocurrency. It matters that it's anything. It matters that it's anything. You know, if you say, what would you eat as an anarchist? Where do I live? Do I live on the coast? Is there free seafood out there for me to go pick up? Do I like seafood? I'm going to probably eat seafood, right? Do I live in a really great city with great restaurants that haven't been shut down by the government and I have lots of money? I'm going to eat whatever the hell I want. Why? Because I am going to evaluate what's best for me, for my family, for the people I care about, and I'm going to use the tools that are around me. Cryptocurrency is just a tool. The internet's a tool. Like, people say, why do you use, you know, YouTube when you're so against all the tech censorship? Well, let's see, first of all, if they don't take this, like, does this video survive? That's what I'm waiting to see. Will it survive long enough to get sucked over to Odyssey? I hope so. I really do. But, because it works. Because I'm talking to, right now, 77 people who are listening to me live. And if they don't take it down, hundreds and hundreds more who don't listen to my podcast will hear it. And maybe one or two of them will say, hey, this guy's all right. Maybe they'll reach out to me. Maybe they'll form a relationship. Maybe something better will happen in my life. Maybe something better will happen in your life that I'll never even know about. Since that's my goal, to liberate as many people as possible in their minds so that they can build the life they want instead of telling other people how to build the life that I want for me, YouTube happens to be a reasonable tool for now to do that with. If we get to a point where YouTube begins to so destroy itself that it's not a usable tool for me anymore, or if they ban me, which they very well might, I have one warning and one strike already, so I'm on my way out the door, then I won't use it anymore. Right? Just like that guy with the chickens. Just like that guy with the chickens. If if he has a reasonable chance of getting that law pulled away, did it make sense for him to use the political process as a tool to remove a restriction? If he looks at the landscape and says there's no way this is ever going to happen, he's going to have to figure something else out. He's going to have to move. He's gonna fi- there's another option. Maybe he figures out how to keep chickens without the blue haired Karen next door knowing it. Right? Like, there's always options when you think this way. But we should support anything that furthers freedom for individuals to make a choice. So I am a big proponent of cryptocurrency. If you don't want to use it, you don't have to. I'm okay with that. Now, you might give me a bunch of FUD and bullshit excuses as to why it's a bad idea, and I might respond to you with where you're wrong, but I don't respond to you with where you're wrong because I want you to use it. I want you to make a fully informed decision. I want your consent to be informed. And if you are if you understand it perfectly and you still don 't want anything to do with it, God bless you I just don 't want to take it away from anybody else. so I look at cryptocurrency like anything else in society as an anarchist if it benefits me i 'll use it and, and it do, if it doesn 't hurt anybody i don 't want to restrict anybody 's rights to it so that 'll wrap things up for the youtube so i don 't know exactly when that will become available on odyssey i don 't know exactly how live streaming works, but all of the center of that content is and was live streamed on YouTube. So if they don't take it down for because I use certain words like vaccine and COVID and you know 5G or whatever, um, then it'll be available. And it'd be kind of cool if somebody went through it and time-stamped uh, all the questions for me because I don't know if I'll get to that. Uh, if you want to do that, email me uh, about it before you do. Uh, because if somebody else has already said they're going to do it, I don't want people wasting their time. So if somebody's already doing it, there's no reason for that work to be uh, replicated. TSPC and the subject line, as always, for everything. With that wrapped up, let me remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com, and no matter what you buy, you will help the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. And uh, today I don't have an item of the day for you. I have something I think that's even more valuable something that I kind of kick myself that I didn't tell you about a long time ago. It's called Amazon Renewed. I have featured some items that tend to stay in stock on Renewed, but most items don't. And I think the thing about Amazon Renewed is it can save you, especially power tools, electronics, et cetera, things that are expensive, it can save you hundreds or thousands of dollars a year depending on what you purchase and what your habits are and what your needs are. It's an amazing program, and I don't think people really understand what it is. What people think happens, let's say Bill goes to Amazon, he buys a cordless drill. He uses it for a while, and it breaks. The motor burns out, he drops it, and it cracks, whatever. It's in the warranty, so he sends it back to Amazon. And then Amazon has technicians, and they fix it, and then they sell it as a used product to you, as a renewed product. They actually did something to fix it. Sometimes small repairs are made, but in general, most renewed items are either there was an accessory mix missing and they obtained the accessory or they're selling it now like it was supposed to come with a battery maybe and the battery was, maybe it came with a battery and a charger and the battery was battered and the charger was bad They just throw that away. And they sell it as a bare tool. That would be another example. like But generally it's brand new equipment. Or Bill gets the drill and his wife goes, you have enough drills. And he's like, shit, and he sends it back. Or somebody buys something, and just decide they don't need it. Or somebody gets something as a gift and they return it. Like mo- Because once that happens, Amazon can't sell it as new. So just like used car salesmen started car- calling cars pre-owned, they took return and they called it renewed because it sounds cooler. And I'm not saying nothing's ever fixed at all, but in most cases, it's all it is. And this is the beauty of this. For a long time, there was a, a pretty thriving business uh, that involved, and it's still done, but it's like, It'll make sense as I explain this. You could go to Amazon, and they would say, you know, we have a pallet full of stuff, undisclosed, and this whole pallet is all returns, and it's uh, $700. And people would literally buy a pallet full of return merchandise without knowing what it was, get it, clean it all up, fix it up, et cetera, repackage it, and sell it as used items or returned items, sometimes on Amazon itself. And they might buy $700 worth. So there's videos of guys like buying a $700, $800 pallet and selling over you know, $10,000 worth of material. Like, that happens. Well, Amazon's a very data-driven company. And they started figuring out, like, there's certain items that will sell and sell fairly quickly if we just put it back in the box and we'll make more money or we'll recover more of our loss this way. So... What you'll see when you go on Amazon, you will not see, you know, um, Joe Blow's brand of cordless drill. You'll see the you'll see Milwaukee, you'll see Rigid. You'll see the same power tools. You'll if you go into a pawn shop, you always see them, because the pawn shop guy knows if I put this on a shelf within a certain amount of time, someone's going to buy it, and they know how much they're going to get for it. It's like that, except that shit's all busted, old, used, and this is brand new. Recently, I bought a cordless angle DeWalt angle grinder. The one I wanted, and i wanted for a while, but I didn't really need it because I have a plug-in black and decker one. And I don't use it very much. But it's kind of like the last thing to complete my, complete my set. 165 bucks new. 165 bucks new. I went on Renewed, and it was 84 bucks or something like that. I bought one. I was going to feature it on the show, put it on the blog. There was only like six in stock. And I'm like, if I put that out on the air, it's going to be gone. Like, if I even put it in as a item of the day, like within five minutes of putting it out and social media is going to be gone. So I have some friends that I knew that were like big wall guys and I was like, hey, do you see this? And literally five minutes of text messages and they all sold out. That's how good a deal it was. It's not always that good a deal. The write-up I have for you today at the website explains some of the things to think about. Um, one thing is warranty, like a tool might come with a one or two-year warranty. Anything on Amazon renewed generally comes with a 90-day Amazon warranty so you have less warranty. But again, you're paying half the price. Sometimes you're paying 25% off, what have you. And if it's a good quality item, that it generally doesn't go bad, right? Um, but not everything in a renewed store will be deeply discounted. That's something else to know. It won't be deeply discounted all the time. You need to check. But whenever I'm going to buy something, if it's something that seems like maybe it would be available renewed, I always check. Just put the ni- exact name of the item in and put renewed next to it when you do a search. But start at TSPAS, right? Um And, you know, not everything will always be in inventory. Like, just because you see it there today doesn't mean it will be there next week, next year, what have you. Or it will be the same deal. It fluctuates based on the return, how many people return what. Some things get returned a lot, so they always seem to be around. A lot of the Ninja food products seem to get returned. So generally, like a lot of the Ninja foodie and the Ninja little... Uh the blender, which I love the Ninja Blender, I've recommended that. It's usually on sale way cheaper than what you can get it, and it's usually available, but not always. And the last thing is sometimes there'll be an item you'll find in the renewed store that's not from Amazon renewed. It's a third party seller. And I think it's a bug in their software that matches products. So when that happens, you'll see available from you know two sellers, one seller, whatever. Click here for options, and that's gonna have its own Shipping cost, et cetera, so you need to be aware of that. But otherwise, I mean, this is an incredible program that can just save you so much freaking money. Um, recently, when I bought that angle grinder, I think I bought retail price over $400 worth of DeWalt tools for under $200. So there's $200 bucks right there. It was more than $200. I don't remember exactly what it is, but... Um, I, I just like, I need to let people know this, and I don't have it yet, but I think I'm going to add a link on the main spatch page, you know, I have one that's like shop for all the today's deals at Amazon or anything you're looking for, I think I'll add one straight into the renewed store so people remember it's available and remember, you would get like an email or a text message or something depending on which, you know, whether you subscribe to my email, uh, daily email or my telegram or on social media, you would have a direct link to this right now, you'll have to go to the site and look it up, but I'll put a link in today's show notes as well uh to this article because i think this is going to save you you know if you've ever been like i don't know if i'll save enough money to join the msb hey maybe join one year because if you use this at all you, probably your first order you're going to save way more than the cost of msb definitely in your first two with that let's wrap things up with our song of the day today you know talking about anarchy we got into some discussions about injustice and the way people are treated and the way that we have an artificial hierarchy. And this is actually a really good song to fit in that vein, um, though I bet the people that produced it politically don't come at it from the same angle I do. This is by Everlast, and it's called What It's Like. It tells three different stories of people that are dealing with things and are just treated like shit. And I won't go into them individually, because we're pretty long. They were at an hour 41 uh, on the recording timeline here. But I just would say that I think society would always be better served if people had more options as to how they solved their problems. And that a, a society where people have to solve their own problems, where conflict is expensive rather than inexpensive, where conflict is something you have to deal with personally rather than being able to make a phone call uh, or rather than being able to just use basically the power of the state as a form of mob violence, as a society would probably be a little bit better to each other in the long run. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.